Well, we have been talking about uh, this rat race that we run in life, how so often we don't even realize what we're doing. We are out there trying to do things uh, to feel better. Uh, maybe it's a performance-driven thing. Maybe it's a trying to make people happy with you so you feel better about yourself. These things that have come up, and it's, it's really very powerful. Your response to this as so many people have things that are going on, and they think about, yeah, this affects my life. Here's the real reason why we're doing this, okay? Because I believe that this is such uh, a powerful negative influence on our life that we should consider, man, what does God say about this guilt and this shame that feels like a weight around our neck? Uh, if you remember back in the story of the uh, uh, creation and, and God making Adam and Eve, and, and he puts them in a garden, and, and in this garden, he tells Adam to do some work. I know we all complain about work, but work actually comes before the fall. It comes before sin entered, entered the world kind of thing. And so he puts Adam there and he says, tend the garden. I want you to work. I want you to cultivate this garden. That idea gets translated all through scripture in this idea of land and responsibility. And in the New Testament, the idea of a, a, the garden or this idea of territory, this idea, idea of land, our responsibility turns into really our hearts. And that of all the things that God's given you to do, God's probably given you many hats and many titles. Uh, you probably have a, some, literally some grass to mow right now because it's been so nice and with the rain and all that. So we've got these things that we do. What God's called us to do is ultimately to tend, cultivate, care for our heart. That's first. Before you cut the grass, you know, before you go out there and make a, a million dollars for your job, you know, before you go out there and try to get everybody to like you, before you go out there and try to be somebody else that somebody wants to be, right? It's right here. God's called you to tend this garden, tend this heart. And it's my passion and my deep calling as a follower of Christ and as a ministry leader and also for our church that, that we would be helping you work on that, tending this right here, caring for it. You got some weeds in there? One of the weeds is shame and guilt, I'm telling you. And so what I'm trying to do is trying to get you to look a little bit beneath the surface to see how this could be affecting your life, okay? This is what Brene Brown says. I read this quote every week because I'm hoping it'll, it'll, it'll kind of come through. She says this. She's a researcher actually on shame and vulnerability um, at the University of Houston and super famous right now. She's got a Netflix special going on right now. Shame is the most powerful master emotion, okay? It's the fear that we're not good enough. And you can fill in the blank for whatever that may be. Not good enough for our parents or not good enough for a spouse. You know, not good enough for our kids. Not good enough for our jobs. Not good enough to have friends. Not good enough to be happy, right? Not good enough to be popular. Not good enough to be satisfied. Not good enough for any of those things. It's that fear that somebody's finally going to see the real you and you're terrified of the real you. And you're pretty sure everybody else will be terrified about the real you. And so what happens is shame takes over and we wear a mask, we lock up, and the fear comes through. And so if we as followers of Christ are called to follow him, it is not just in doing good things. It, it is intending and caring and cultivating the garden of your heart. And weeds get in there. And shame and guilt are these weeds in our life that we don't even realize that they're there. And we're starting to do these things out from shame and these crazy things, and I want to call you to a higher standard to look beneath the surface of your life and to say, God, have you ever even prayed about this? Hey, God, 
this is a little scary what's inside of here. Would you help me? This is why we are talking about this. You say, well, I'm harping on the negative a lot. I don't mean to harp on the negative. I, I try to be encouraging and highlight grace through this process. But for me, I found out that shame has an effect on me. And I didn't catch that when I first became a believer. I was just like black and white, we're good to go. And then some stuff came up, and I didn't know what to do with it. In these moments, I began to seek Jesus and found his grace and found some freedom. And that's why we're talking about it, okay? Here's a couple things for you to think about. You don't need to talk to your neighbor about this. You don't got to text your spouse you're doing this right now. You don't got to tell anybody. But this is something that you should probably consider. Now, how do I know if this is shame or just maybe I did something bad and I let it go and whatever? I'm not thinking about it, so it doesn't affect me, right? Well, maybe it does. Here's a couple things to consider how shame may be affecting your life when grace should be the greatest influence on your life, his love and his grace. First of all, you feel fear when you think about it, whatever it may be. It could have been something that happened to you. It could have been something you did to somebody else. It could be a society thing. It could be a cultural thing. In a lot of cultures, um, especially in Eastern cultures, um, this is culture of like uh, saving face, and this idea is related, related to shame. You don't even want to like show your face places if there's a, a shame thing going on, right? Or you dishonored family or culture or the society, right? You're embarrassed of that. Do you feel fear when you think about that? Does your t stomach start getting tight? You start sweating a little bit. Do you feel fear when you think about it, whatever it is? The second one's a hard one. No one know your whole story. Does no one, does anybody know your whole story? You say, well, no, I, I, I've told everybody everything. Have you? I mean, there are some things there that probably you think, oh, they don't need to know that, right? I mean, that's fine. You know, let's not bring that up at dinner time, right? We just naturally do this. We don't just walk into a room and start saying, hey, I feel, you know, ugly. We just walk that and do that, you know. Hey, how do you know just walk into a room and say, hey, listen, I failed at this. It was awful. Or just walk into a room and say, hey, you know what, I was last in sales this week. It was felt so great to be last in sales, right. And I've been there, by the way, right. Nobody walks in the room and says that. So we just naturally don't talk about that. So you can be in a relationship for years with somebody and you never share these things. You may have a buddy or a friend that you've been... Um, friends with for a long time and never maybe no one person knows your whole story maybe you don't think you deserve better maybe you want to hide from god it's a really great quote on facebook you know my source of news and everything uh recently it said you know if uh, religion and this idea of works oriented uh, uh spirituality and, and religion is when you do something bad you you merely say oh don't tell dad you know but grace in a relationship is when you've done something bad you say man we got to tell dad I want to come get some help. I want to be with him. So when you do something bad, do you run from the help or do you run to the help? Typically, shame takes over and we wouldn't even want to talk about it. You may miss church. You may not pick up my call. I'm just kidding. I don't call anybody. I text them. But anyway, you may just want to avoid that. You don't want to have coffee with me when I ask you to get coffee or somebody else, a buddy does, a friend does, a spouse. Say, hey, let's go have an intimate conversation. I'm good. right? Because of this, we run from it. Um, and this last one is pretty powerful. Maybe you got some shame going on. If, you know, if how you feel about yourself differs from what God says about you. You say, well, I don't have that problem. I have no idea what God says. And I'm going to keep it that way. Great. That's a great way to <laughs> stay ignorant right here. It's just blessed. You think about that sometimes. The way you feel about yourself, the talk you have inside your head, the argument that's going on that you seem to be losing, right? That that's so different than when you read scripture and what he talks about to you. And the verses we read over the last few weeks that God calls you righteous. 
Don't you think? Jesus calls you righteous. But so few of us will feel that way. And if there's a disconnect between how you feel about yourself and what God says about you, there's probably something going on there that God wants to heal and that God wants to renew. Is everybody discouraged yet or should I continue? Let's read together John chapter 4. It's kind of long, so I didn't put it up there. I want you to read together with me. John chapter 4. You know this story. It's a story of Jesus at this well, and he meets this Samaritan woman. It's pretty powerful, this connection. And I, as I prayed over tonight, I just really felt like this kind of grasped this idea. I'm trying to hope that you know, you'll grasp and you'll consider as far as how grace can really help your life. Okay? This is John chapter 4. We're going to read starting in verse 7. The Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, so it's just them two. Verse 9. This woman says to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's some prejudice, some race going on in this culture, just like ours, right? Verse 10. Jesus answers, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus says, answers, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Boy, that sure doesn't sound like shame. Verse 15, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He, says, go, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she says. Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. Got caught, right? That's where shame starts coming in. Got caught. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you, are now, you now have is not your husband. Well, thanks for embarrassing me in front of everybody, right? What, have you, what you have just said is quite true. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped at this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. We'll explain that here in a second. Verse 21, woman, Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, this other people group, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's Jewish, connected to the Jewish belief. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. Don't you love it? He's talking about worship, and he just revealed her sin. For they are the kind of worshipers the, fathers, the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman says, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain it all this. And Jesus says, he declares, I'm the one speaking to you. I am he. Verse 27, those disciples come back. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And no one asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him and then later on, People come to know and believe in Jesus because of this woman's testimony, okay? Now, that's kind of a long passage, but I just want to think about this connection with Jesus. And this is kind of like on my top five, I wish I was there moments for scripture. Um, I'm okay missing creation. All right, that's, I'm actually all right missing the resurrection. 
I'm all right with that. <laughs> you know, I'm all right missing these incredible miracles. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I would love to be here for this. I'd love to be sitting at the well overhearing this conversation between Jesus and this woman. I would I just love to feel what that safety felt like. Well, I'd love to feel what it was like to hear Jesus talk about ugly and awful things and embarrassing things and her not bad an eye and run. What does that feel like? I would love to just be there where Jesus seems like he's not busy, <laughs> you know. You know, if he was busy, how you doing? I'm fine. That means I don't want to talk. Let me get my water and go. But Jesus, let's talk about your past. Let's talk about these five husbands. I mean, what? And in this moment, I just would love to be there in this moment to feel what it's like just to be around Jesus. Wouldn't you? This is so powerful because it kind of grasps this idea that I'm trying to get across to you that being with Jesus isn't about you trying to do better or to do good. It's not about those things. The very things that take us away from him are the things that we seem to be, like, fixated on. It's like, listen, cultivating that heart, taking care of that garden, is dealing with some of these things inside of you right here. It's not even on Jesus' radar. He just wants to be with you here, okay? And, that, and that's the first thing I want you to just, just would you consider today is that Jesus just wants to be with you. And in this moment for this woman, this is the last thing she was looking for. She's looking for water doing her thing, but she, Jesus gets into it. It's, it's powerful. And this is one of the reasons why I want to be there in this moment because he brings up all this stuff that is things that none of us would ever want to talk about. We don't go to any public place and answering these kind of questions. I'm good. i got to get out of here, right? We don't want to talk about these things. We hide these things naturally. And in this moment, she felt okay with Jesus just reading her mail, just getting into it. And in this moment, whatever she had done, it wasn't enough for Jesus to be done here. It could have been so much more effective somewhere else maybe. It could have been healing people, doing these incredible things. And we don't know that any outward thing happened in this encounter with Jesus. What we see is something inward that happens. So she brings up this, he brings up this thing and she talks to him about it. And it's like Jesus sticks around. And actually if you look at a map and kind of where he was going in the context, Jesus actually went out of the way to get to this well. It actually wasn't the shortcut. Okay. So he goes out of his way to go to this well to meet this one person, and I would love to have been there when Jesus took a side cut, not a shortcut, he took a side cut to meet with her. So in this moment, you know, he, he just wants to, he, he's okay. He, he wants to be with her, and Jesus wants to be with you in that scary moment when it comes up, Right? When your stomach starts getting tight, you start sweating because you think someone's going to say something or you're going to have to answer a question. You kind of don't want to lie, but then you know you're going to lie, and that kind of makes you feel bad, right? I mean, in this moment that Jesus is right there and he wants to be with you. No matter what you have done up to this point, he wants to be with you. Secondly, Jesus has a, a, a gift for you. We read that and we're like, yeah, no, I get it, you know, following Jesus and his gift of salvation. But I don't think we really get it because we read these scriptures. And I read this the last couple of weeks about, you know, just this grace that God gives us of, of, of just being with him and being with him forever. But we don't, that really doesn't reflect sometimes in our walk with Christ. That turns into, man, I feel really bad at what I did or, you know, I got to do good. I got to, it turns into really like legalism. It turns into like, okay, how many all things that I've done that make me feel terrible? How many things that I've done that make me feel good? Typically based on how our relationship with God is based on what we've done. Don't we? 
Jesus says, I've got a gift for you. And if she earned it, it wouldn't really be a gift. Okay? The very nature of grace is that you, he gives it to you. Right? You're not, it's not deserving. You haven't earned it. But this is a gift for you. And in this passage, I just wonder, you know, he, Jesus used this illustration of water that's life-giving, that's a need for all of us, that's life-giving and wonderful. And, and this idea of the well is that she constantly has to come back to the well. You see that? She constantly has to come back to the well. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you some water where you don't got to come back to this well. You're not going to be searching out for these other things. You don't got to keep coming back. I've got something for you that's so good it's going to satisfy your thirst. And I, it's like this multi-layered here of the physical and of the internal. We have the shame thing going on inside. We have a guilt thing going on inside. Some uh, scholars would argue that maybe it wasn't even husbands. They, they weren't married, you know. She says, now they're, I'm, this isn't my husband that I'm with right now. So we have this internal shame thing going on. Then we have this physical thing of, like, you're going to die without water. And, I, and Jesus offers this thing almost like you need grace and this gift to survive. And we want to say water keeps us going. Money keeps us going. We want God to give us the lottery number so we can pull it and win or whatever. We can go out there and get those things. Man, we'll be good, but you don't understand. That'll dry up. You'll keep coming back to the well. He's trying to offer you something that's greater, healing over every bit of shame and fear that you aren't worth it or good enough. That's the healing Jesus does in your life. Okay, that's the healing he does. In this passage when he's with, G with this woman, uh, the Samaritans are uh, a race that was uh, Jewish people that uh, intermingled and married with um, uh, people who weren't Jewish people. And so they are considered not really Jewish people. And so there's this race culture thing going on here where they don't really, the Jewish people don't accept these people. So that's why there's kind of a surprise here like Jesus talking to this woman. So in addition to what she's done, you catch this, in addition to what she's done, she's dealing with shame that society does to her. Isn't that powerful? You don't get to pick if you're Samaritan or Jewish or Indian or whatever. But she's got to deal with all the prejudice that comes with that. Do you know what that feels like? It's awful. So now she's got this shame going on with what she thinks about herself and what she's done and what she doesn't want to talk about. Now she's got this other layer of society. That doesn't mean much to us, but think about Samaritan Jews. But for them, it's a huge deal. And so we see the disciples kind of saying, what in the world's going on? And then also we have a cultural thing of Jewish men are not supposed to talk to women just publicly in this way. And this is powerful. We've got a, a kind of a shame society. We've got a shame world going on. We've got things that she's done that's all here. And then Jesus is in the midst of that. And he doesn't just necessarily change society. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just fixed that so she didn't have to deal with this anymore? That she wouldn't have to deal with being a Samaritan and what people think about her because she's a Samaritan, right? But Jesus doesn't do all that. He's with her and he's like, listen, you're coming back for this water because you're dying. You're thirsty from all this crazy stuff in your life. But I'm telling you right now, I've got a gift for you and this is all you need. I love this idea that he's talking about worship and they just talked about some sin. You and I just don't do this. We don't. The moment you do something bad or your mind, you feel guilt, whatever that may be, you don't start worshiping God. You don't. But what Jesus does is in these moments, he brings them back. He brings her just back to the Father. And he's saying, essentially what he's saying is my work is going to be so powerful that nothing can separate you from me. I don't care what it is. That's what he's saying right here. 
He's like, listen, there's going to be a day coming where you're going to worship truly, and what's inside of your heart is going to match what your words say. And spirit and truth, it's going to be true. It's not going to be fake or false. And no matter what happens, you're going to be able to do that. And I want to tell you, this is the work of Christ in your heart right now. I know we think the work of Christ is giving us great things or blessing us for the good things we've done. I know we get into that trap. But I want to tell you right now that God's, the, the work of Christ in your life right now is to get you to see that nothing is going to separate you from him. Would you just be with him? And then lastly, we see in this, um, this story that Jesus will then, uh, or the Samaritan woman will then go back to her this town and start talking about Christ. Now, let, let's again think about this for a second. Okay? What does you think she's known for in her town? Okay, right? Got five husbands. The dude you got going on right now is not, right? What do you think she's known for? See what I'm saying? And then she has the audacity to go back to these people and talk about with Christ. So it's interesting how what shame does to us and what we've done in the past, it keeps us from doing anything good. Have you ever felt like, I'm not going to even try that? Why would I? I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Have you ever thought that? Fear takes over. Shame takes over. What will people think if I fall on my face and fail? What if I do that, right? We don't do this. But it's the power of grace. And that's what the, pa the passage is, the point of this part of the passage is. This lady goes back and she shares about Christ. And later on in uh, verse 44, 1 and 42, these people, come, many come to know Christ through this woman who encountered grace. Through this woman who encountered this Jesus that was kind to her. That made her feel safe and loved. This man that made her, made her recognize that, listen, it is not about what you've done. It is about a gift I'm giving you for free. And you can have it. And you can be with me. In verse 42, it says that, I read it, but in verse 42, it says that um, they say that people come to her and say, it's not because of what you said. Now we know for ourselves to know that this was the Christ, the Savior of the world. Think about that for a second. Salvation and evangelism came through somebody needing grace, and she didn't have a lot to accept. See, this is what grace does to you. Your life will change. Your life will change in such a way that fear can be removed so that bravery and courage can come in. See, you, you, fear is going to go away so you can take a risk you would never take before. And you recognize that the risk that she took, the risk wasn't a physical one, okay? The risk wasn't a financial one. The risk was just a vulnerability. The, the risk was of people saying, are you crazy? I don't want to hear a thing you have to say about something good. We know you. We know who you are. We know what you've done. I'm good. She didn't, didn't even matter, didn't register because she had met Jesus, felt grace, and it changed her life. Okay? Here's a question that I want you to consider tonight as we think about shame. You know, if Brene Brown is correct, you know, if, if when Jesus talks about through scripture that you don't have to be afraid, I mean, if this is fear, if that's all true, then, then fears are important, uh, not important, but a big part of our life, okay? So here's the question when it comes to considering sharing things about your life, being known, you know, what am I really afraid of? You say, well, I'm afraid of dying, okay? That's why I don't go hang gliding or whatever it is, you know, I'm afraid of dying, you know, it's a, okay. Maybe you've, you're afraid of the humiliation of failing and people seeing you and 
and all those type things, right? Like, have you ever had those moments where you kind of wish you could die? You're so humiliated, right? I mean, I'm so humiliated in this moment this happened, right? You can list up all those fears. What Jesus is saying to you is that no matter what you may be afraid of or the harm that could come to you, there's no great harm that's too big for him. And there's no great harm that would take you away from him. If you die, he'll be there with you. If you emotionally die because of the humiliation, he'll be right there with you. And over and over, Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. And I always thought about, well, if you're with me, how come you just don't keep that from happening, right? Like, if you're with me, how about I not get humiliated in front of all my friends? Like, if you're with me, how about I don't fall and hurt my face or whatever, you know? Like, if you and I just begin to get it, that I don't have to be as scared, not because he's going to prevent those things from me, but because he's so powerful, and no matter what happens, he will be enough in his way. A lot of scary things that go on in our life. And I want to talk about a, uh, read this quote here that's kind of a scary one. Some of you may have seen the movie The Shack or read the book. Um, the uh, book was written by Paul Young. And there is a um, kind of a drama documentary called The Heart of Man. It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore, but uh, it's on Amazon, I believe. It's called The Heart of Man. And this whole story is about his uh, sexual sin and, the, uh, and some others in his life. Other, other people that have talked about this. And so it's pretty powerful. And so, again, this is this famous author. He writes this, uh, this great story that's, you know, huge and uh, several years ago. But he writes this. He talks about how um, in the documentary, the, the Heart of Man, he talks about this, I think, three-month affair he had um, with this woman. And he cheated on his wife and the pain and all the destruction that went on with that. And he's just cheating on his wife. It's an awful thing, okay? And he says this. He says, we're designed to be naked and unashamed. That means exposed, to live a life that's transparent and open. Our design is toward that kind of authenticity. God's not a cover-up. Read Genesis. Everything's anti-cover-up. It's us who are all about covering up, which drives us into aloneness. But God is all about presence relationship face to face shame and guilt gets us to the point where we just cover up and following Jesus the life he has for us is a life in which we're able to be bare and open and for people to see and this fear is so powerful to you it'll keep relationships away you don't even know what's happening. You're destroying your relationships. You don't have these awesome, great relationships because people don't even know you. You actually also are, are um, um, making it really, really difficult for God to help you. You don't even want to hear it. You've pushed him so far away. And the nature of God is for you to be so safe that you could talk about anything that you've done or that's been done to you and not feel fear. Man, that feels so good if that could happen. And I want to tell you, church, that as you are living your life for Jesus, doing great, good things, that you could do those great and good things and miss out on being able to be with him or others as yourself and feeling no fear. Would you stand with me tonight?
heavy topic, I know. Here's what I also know for me. I struggled with shame for a lot of years. Large season in my life where I just kind of felt like God was raking me over the coals. Bitter during those times. Not proud of those, t- those moments. But I've come to understand that God wasn't punishing me or trying to hurt me, trying to get back at me or something. But what God was doing was trying to get me to stop being afraid. Afraid of failure afraid of what society thinks, afraid of what family members thought, afraid of what my future spouse could think, my, uh, afraid of what my future kids could think at that point. I mean, all these things that just feel like a thousand pounds. And I want to tell you, church, that right now God's working in your heart, yes, to bless you in incredible ways, right? I know we want these material things and these outward things, I get it. But I'm telling you that what God's trying to bless you with is a life without fear of just being you. And God's trying to bless you with a life without fear so he can bring people close to you. So you can actually experience the love of God on this planet. Through the, through the touch of somebody else. Through the presence of somebody else. I'm telling you, God wants to shine through your relationships. But you can't, he can't shine very well when shame has taken over. And you are too scared to let people see the inside. I want to tell you tonight, too, that as you walk with God, that he is so close to you, and maybe you don't even see what you're doing, that you don't see yourself chasing after the, uh, to please somebody else. Maybe that person is a person at work, or it's a family member, or somebody from your past that's still around, right? I mean, we, we do this, trying to get to feel value if somebody else says we have value that's around us, right? And we have this disconnect between how we feel about ourselves and what God says about us. And what God says to you is, I want to hang out with you at the well in a public public place, no matter what society says, no matter what your past says, no matter what my disciples say. And they're worried as well. I want to be with you. You don't have to be afraid because I am right here. Father, right now, just pray across uh, across this room and this as uh, our faith community, Lord. We want great faith, Lord. We want great love. For those that are in our uh, we're in relationship with, in our community, uh, the city at large, God, we want great love, great, great faith happening from our church. But, Lord, I know that if we have great fear going on, it's going to be really, really, really hard to love well. It's going to be really hard to build community. And so I pray right now, Lord, for that person that is struggling with uh, their self-worth and There's that big disconnect between how they feel and what you say. And I just pray right now that they would hear that you have made them good. And there is no big thing that they have done or that has been done to them that can separate you from them. I pray right now in Jesus' name for just someone, Lord, to call out to you and say, Lord, I just want to be with you. Here's all that's happened. In Jesus' name. As we sing these last couple songs... A really great next step for you is to connect with Jesus. So we think that that our next step is behavior modification. That is not a biblical principle. You can't change you. I wish you could. You can't change you. You can't do behavior modification, right? What you can do is sit with Jesus at a well, feel safe, feel his love, feel his healing, and you don't even know what happened, but your life just changed, see? You don't need behavior modification just to connect with Jesus. So maybe in these next few moments, you confess to God something you've never said before. I know we don't like that word confession. It's an older word. But listen, you may need to, in our worship time, say, God, I, I've done this or this happened to me. 
But Lord, I love you still the same. And just like in this passage, they talked about sin, but he called them to worship. So tonight, as you thought about these things over the past weeks, could you worship him tonight? Could you, could you say that he's good? Could you say that God's made you good? Could you see him tonight and worship truly, knowing that God accepts you as you are, and he wants to heal you, and in this moment, he wants to help you with your fears?